0: You know the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied to the southern kingdom of Judah before it was carried off into captivity. And they did get carried off into captivity. Spoiler alert in case you had not read that yet. Um, but um, but as uh, God is speaking and, and and kind of charging Judah with the sin of leaving him and going after other gods and into sin and so forth. Uh, God speaks to the prophet and he says, they have forsaken Me for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that is a powerful image if you kind of understand a little bit. How many know what a cistern is? Yeah, you maybe had those back in the day. I'm sure in Kansas they probably had some of these things. But you know, uh, you've got well springs of living water. We don't refer to it that way because that's just. To us, that's just water. We, we're used to purified, nice, good drinking water deep from up uh, beneath the ground. That would be living water that he's talking about—spring water, deep water. Cisterns a whole different thing. That's an, when you can't dig a well, when you don't have pure water available to you. You dig into the ground, you make a hole uh, in the rock, and then you get the runoff. So, you get murky, yucky runoff, and you kind of hope that it settles out and that the junky stuff goes to the bottom that you can kind of drink it, right? You know this, yes? That's the picture that he has. Of course, these aren't even decent cisterns, these are broken cisterns. They leak, they don't hold water. So, Paul's, uh, I mean, Jeremiah's charge, God's charge against his people is that they have left him the source of all goodness, the source of all good things, and they've run off after those things which are empty and broken and worthless and vile. Make sense? No? Yes. Oh, okay. You're with me. You're with me. All right. So at Colossae, we have a very similar thing go, going on there that, that Paul sees the danger... And, and, and he reiterates this so many different ways when he talks about the fullness of Christ and Christ being the substance and everything. It's that it, their danger is that they're going to run off after sort of empty things, empty philosophies, broken cisterns that have no benefit to them, rather than, than continuing in the source who is Christ himself. All right, so Paul... Paul wants them to see the abundant fullness that is theirs in Christ. So this is the big idea. In Christ, we have the fullness of God. In Christ, we have the fullness of God. And we're going to look at how beautiful and wonderful that is for us uh, today. We're going to back up a little bit in the text real quick just to show you the context I uh, thank Brian for kind of trying to uh, get at that a little bit before he read. But we're going to back up a couple verses. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That's, we looked at this last time. There's your broken cistern. It's empty. It's empty deceit. according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now we're catching up. And you have been filled in him who is the head above all rule and authority. Do you get what's happening in contrast one with the other? We don't want to be captive to empty, worthless human traditions and elemental spirits. Those things are worthless to us. They're like like murky water that a cistern can't even hold. Rather, God's fullness, we are told, dwells in Christ, and we are in Christ... And so in Christ, we have all of the benefits of the deity flowing to us. Now, we don't become gods by virtue of being in Christ who has the fullness of God in himself. But rather, we, we, we um, partake of all of the provisions of that. Yeah? I was going to do verses 10 through 15. Uh, the best laid plans of mice and men, as, as they say. I got into this. I'm like, this is so... Like, Colossians is so... Wonderfully rich and dense, that I, I got a few verses in. And I went, Well, that's going to be it. We're going to have part one and part two uh, for this. <laughs> that's just the way it worked out. So, we're going to look at four, just in the first few verses, four provisions that flow from the fullness of God that are in Christ to us. You ready? So, first of all, in Christ we are delivered from evil. We don't have exact precision about what the uh, false teachers believed. We can pick it out between the lines. We can kind of Put it back together in part. We know, though, that some of it was dealing with these things called elemental spirits. Do you remember that conversation we had about elemental spirits last time? So the elemental spirits, on the one hand, speak to demonic powers, principalities and powers of darkness, that sort of thing. And it also, you'll recall, related to elemental superstitions of sort of typical religious thought where if I don't do this and I do that and I keep that and I, and I refrain from this at certain times, a certain place, whatever it might be, that if by doing those things, I somehow um, you know, come into the fullness of God by virtue of them. Here's the deal. Christ, in whom dwells the deity of God, is head over Everything over all these things, all these elemental spirits, all of everything that can be named, every power that is in existence, is under his authority, and therefore we are not at the mercy of them. We, We are in Christ. Christ is the fullness of God. He is the head over all rule and authority. What does that say about our position? Christian, if you are in Christ, and Christ is the ruler of all things... What does that say about evil forces in the world? Well, I'm not saying Christians never suffer injury. I'm not saying that we're not in a battle with the powers of of darkness, for we are, we're under attack, and we know that. Yet at the same time, because we are in Christ, and Christ is head over these things, we can say, as Paul teaches us in Romans, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, God was in Christ. We are in Christ. Christ is over all authority. Therefore, these things cannot overcome us we are conquerors through christ not life not death not angels not demons nothing anything now what broken cistern out there eh, in the realm of broken cisterns is so attractive and so valuable and so powerful that you can set it over and against the fullness that we have in jesus christ what what can compare to that what, what other power frees you from all distress? What, what can man do to you because you have Christ? There is nothing. What can go bump in the night? What, what can go bump in the night or in Kansas, blow away in the middle of the night? Um, what, what dark thing can, can, can come against you? Even if we suffer, and even if we were to suffer the loss of all things in this world, heaven is ours. Even if we were to lose this this temporary earthly shell of of an existence, we have eternity forever with him. He is the head and rule over every authority. And so we need not fear evil. We are delivered. We're already under the second point. That's pretty good. Second second provision of his fullness here is that in Christ we have true spiritual circumcision. Circumcision. I was expecting an applause or something at that point. Hey, we've got real honest-to-goodness spiritual circumcision. Who's excited about that today? Woo! You're like, I'm not so sure. If you offered a chimpanzee a check for a million dollars or a banana, what would he take? He'd take the banana. Banana. Because the chimpanzee has no concept of what a check for a million dollars uh, means or how many bananas that would buy. He has no clue. He just sees the banana. That's what he wants. And we're a little bit that way. I hate to compare you to a chimpanzee, but I'll, I'll, I'll put myself in the same category here, right? We have to understand in order for, to, to appreciate what we've been given. It says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, this is actually an incredible gift. This is an incredible gift. Um, we've been spiritually circumcised in Christ. It is said to be part of what we have from the fullness of God that's in Christ. Yes? Do it's, it's, you understand it's flowing out of the logic of, of what preceded? Fullness of God in Christ. We are in Christ. We now have the fullness of God through that. This is part of it. You're like, okay, still don't understand it. Let let me go through a few things here. When you're talking about circumcision biblically, you're really getting at at the core of a lot of really important spiritual goods, if you will. So I'm going to give you three of them. You ready? The first of these is a sense of belonging. Not just a sense of belonging, but an actual true spiritual belonging. Whether we are Jews or Gentiles, we have belonging in God's people. We are no longer strangers and aliens. We are now fellow citizens. We are part of the people of God. You see, under the Old Testament um, covenant, to be a part of the people of God, the male had to be circumcised. Otherwise, he was estranged. So what Paul is saying to Christians at Colossae who are some Jewish, some Gentile, some circumcised, some not circumcised in the flesh. He's saying the physical circumcision no longer matters. We're not under the old covenant. It's no longer part of that. Rather, what you have now, circumcised or otherwise, is spiritual circumcision in Christ. And so you are now, in Christ, already part of God's covenant people. You've been brought into the covenant. Do you see the value of that? Okay. Secondly, we have purification. Purification from fleshly defilements of sin, because in the old covenant, that exterior, you know, actual physical flesh was an emblem of impurity. It was an emblem of impurity, and so circumcision was the removal of that Tied to the whole notion of temple worship, really. The idea was that, that as a people of God, in order to worship God, in order to approach God, they were to be removed from, from the sinful flesh, from the sin that adheres, that, that moral pollution. And so the, the external act of circumcision was something by which they achieved a ritual purity in order to enter into the temple. There's a lot of stuff going on in the book of Colossians about temple worship, which will come out. I've been talking about it. I'll continue to mention it. But the false teachers appear to have been, at points, um, kind kind of putting forth the notion that they could bring people... Through asceticism and various ritual observances, do this, don't do that, keep this, eat this, don't eat that. But all these various ways, they were going to bring them into the heavenly temple, and they were going to be able to commune with God in a way that other people, mere mortals, you know, other Christian types that didn't have it, couldn't manage. They were like roadies. um, Anybody know what a roadie is? You have to grow up in the 60s to know what a roadie is. <laughs> Roadies are those people that traveled with the band. And if you knew a roadie, the roadie could get you backstage to party with a band. This is kind of the false teachers. They were like, yeah, we can get you there. We can, bring, we can get you to that heavenly temple. And what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying you've already been spiritually circumcised by Christ. And therefore, as part of God's covenant people, having removed that, 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 that flesh, that, that impure flesh, you are able to actually approach God. You can come to God. You can come into the temple, into the sanctuary. Not the physical sanctuary there in Jerusalem, which was soon to pass. He's talking about the, the temple of God, which is Christ, which is his body, which is the church. All of those things are caught up in that. And we gain a new heart. We gain a new heart by that spiritual circumcision. Go all the way back to Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, when, Paul, when, when God is speaking to the people through Moses, and he's talking to them once again about the whole thing of, of, of how they are to be. You know, they've been a rebellious people in the wilderness. They're getting ready to come into the promised land. And God implores them at that po- point to circumcise The foreskin of their hearts. Yes, he had given his old covenant people that sign of the covenant, which was actual physical circumcision. But even in Deuteronomy, still within the books of Moses, he's calling upon them to do that which is more important, and that is to circumcise their heart. And he goes on to explain what what is wrong with their heart, and that is that they're stubborn. They need to have the stubbornness of their sinful heart removed. So what Christ removes in spiritual circumcision is the stony, stubborn resistance to God. That's that's what His work does in us. It makes us tender-hearted toward God. It makes us receptive to the things of God. Let's put this all into a quick summary. If we are in Christ, if you are in Christ... By faith, we have the fullness of God because we are in Christ, and in Christ is that fullness of God. And this includes spiritual circumcision, not with hands, right? It is, it is made in heaven with God. It means we are now part of God's covenant people. We are purified of our sins such that we can come into God's presence, into God's temple, a temple not made not with hands. And it means that we've had that work done where the stubborn, stony resistance of our sin has been removed and we can be tender hearted and willing, willing and compliant with God. Now, do you see the $10 million check? Or do you still want the banana? <laughs> do, you want, do, do you see the value of what God is holding out to you? You weren't his people. You know, you were lo me. you were not part of God's people. You were defiled, you were impure, you were without God, without hope in the world. You couldn't approach God because of your sin and your stubborn heart. You resisted God. But now in Christ, in whom all the fullness of deity dwells, because you are in him, all of that has changed. All of that, all the effects of sin have been dealt with. Don't let false teachers come along and tell you, well, you know, as you are, you're kind of okay, but you know, you, you could be so much better if you would just sign up for my course on how to enter the heavenly temple, and if you'll just keep these dietary laws over here and, 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 and abstain from this and, 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 and do that, then we can really get you promoted, into something much higher and better. Don't let them do that to you. The fullness is in Christ. How many times will I say that today? How many times do we have to hear it till we really get it? The fullness is in Christ. What are you going to do with that? Hopefully you'll, you'll come into a place of thanksgiving where you'll really see that and, and, and rejoice in that and, 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 and just dwell on that a little bit. Let that take, let that take hold the second thing I would say is, with that information, we need to take advantage of it. Like, what good is it to be able to enter into the very presence of God, into his temple, if we don't enter into his temple? You say, well, how do I do that? How do I enter into his temple? You, you come into his presence in, in prayer. You know, you come into his presence when you join with the body of Christ in, in worship, and, and so on and so forth. We take advantage of, of that which is... You... <laughs> huh? Right right here. How do you come into the temple? How do you come into God's presence? Take advantage of every opportunity that you have to draw near to God because God has made the way for you to draw near. And then one more application before we move on, and that is if, if we have been stripped of that old flesh, that is the power of flesh, the power of sin, if that be so, we should really be done with sin, shouldn't we? We should, we, should, we should endeavor to be done with every vestige of sin. It has been removed. It has been taken care of in Christ. And so there where the flesh continues to encroach and, and, and the sin that so easily besets, we need to lay them aside because we have this in Christ already done for us. Good so far? Yeah? Are, you, are you seeing all that, that Christ has provided? The third provision... In Christ, we've been buried with him in baptism. Buried with him in baptism. Again, burial doesn't sound like much better than a banana. Maybe it sounds far. Hey, we'll bury you. Who, 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 Khrushchev told that to, to the U.S. years ago. We're going to bury you, and we didn't like it very much. So how do we make burial sound like a good thing? Let's get to that in just a, a moment here. But... Um, Hold that. Um, I want to show you the connection, first of all, between circumcision and baptism. And then we'll move on. Both are outward ceremonial acts that represent becoming part of God's covenant people. Circumcision was the sign, the Old Testament sign and symbol, the initiatory rite of the Old Covenant. Water baptism which Christ commanded for his disciples to practice is the outward initiatory ritual that a Christian experiences when they have confessed faith in Christ become part, and become part of his church. Look at how Paul puts this in juxtaposition. I'm going to take the end of verse 11 into verse 12. It says, By the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism." When a believer is baptized, having repented and trusted in Christ, they're confessing to the world and to the church that they have come into union with Christ. And having come into union with Christ, they have been circumcised without hands, that they've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So circumcision and baptisms, both signs of the covenant, both things we cannot do to ourselves, or let's, let's just say, ought not do to ourselves, right? These, these, are, in, these are designed to be performed on us. They are spiritually done by God, not by men, and both involve a death to sin. Both involve a turning away from sin. We just got through looking at that um, when we looked at circumcision, that we said that there was a removal of the flesh, which was an emblem of removing ourselves from, from this influence of sinful flesh. Baptism is the same way. Say, well, how does baptism deal with, with the sin issue? Well, on the one hand, there's the imagery of being cleansed, right? There's impurity and you're being washed. But even more than that is this idea of burial, the idea of burial, that in baptism we are showing forth the notion that we have died with Christ and we have buried, been buried with him. And there's a difference between dying and, and being buried. Because it's, burial is like the finality of that event, isn't it? Burial is the, when someone dies, what do we do? Well, first we, we have a time of mourning. We have a wake. Or in some traditions, we don't call it wakes. Up in Minnesota, they called it a reviewal. I don't even think that's an English word. They're like, are you going to the reviewal? What is that? <laughs> that's the wake. But anyway, so you have the body still with you, don't you? The body is still above ground. That is, that's to give us the whole process of being able to let go. And we, many times it's, it's an open casket. We look at the body. And then we, eventually we have the funeral service. And then we take the body to the cemetery and we have the interment. The internment, people are kind of getting away from going to those. I find those aren't usually all that well uh, attended. And sometimes at the very last minute, a member of the family will ask them, and they'll open the casket, and you get one more look at the body of the loved one, the shell of, of, of what they have laid aside. And then there comes a moment where we just it, We have to bring that that to an end, and we lower the casket into the ground, and we cover dirt, and there is... There is finality, and that person that we have known in their body all their lives is we now we now commit to the ground. And there there's a sense that body that we have known all that as as our loved one will never again be in the sphere of the living. We've utterly put them away. They no longer occupy even the same space with us. It's final. When we are included in Christ. As we talked about, we have the fullness of God. But in having the fullness of God, we are to have the void of our old sinful life. Christ died and was laid in the tomb. You and I have been brought into union with Christ. And so as we have been made one with Christ, we have died with him. And we have been buried with him, it says. And in that burial, there is a finality. Yes, we go on living in this body this shell until that day when it is laid in the ground and the body must die because of sin. But, but we are buried, our old sinful life, even though we go on living, our old sinful self, who we used to be, has been buried and hidden with Christ in God. What Paul is implying on a practical level here is actually, you know, not to, uh, he doesn't actually dwell a lot on the implications of this, but he is saying that, that the Christian, having been circumcised at demonstrating that the laying aside of the flesh is now buried with Christ in baptism. Man, there's no going back. There's no going back. When we go back into sin, we are doing something which is unnatural. It, it, it's like grave digging. Spiritually, we've died. We've been buried with Christ. It's, in, it's impossible. It's disgusting. To think about going back, and, and in essence, what are we doing spiritually is we're trying to bring an old dead body back up from the ground and resuscitate it. It's not natural. We are dead, we are buried, and therefore we are not to continue in sin. We are to have laid that aside. Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 6, which he basically covers very, very similar ground, and he asks the question, you know, are we to go on sinning? And he says this, he says, how can we who died to sin live in it? And so the powerful imagery here of what has happened for us in Christ is that that burial, that finality has taken place. Christian, when we turn back to old patterns, when we let the let loose sin and 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 sort of what we're doing is sort of reanimating a dead corpse. We're like grave robbers. We're doing the unthinkable. We're trying to retrieve something which should be dead. And I think it helps us to understand that. I think it's helpful for us to get this picture. When our old friends come along and they say, hey, come on. You know, you remember that good time we used to have? Come, you know, present your 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 members to 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 sin and to its passions and so forth and just let loose. Remember the good old times when we used to party or whatever it is. You know, you what we ought to be able to say to them is, "Hey, no can do." Oh, don't be that way. Don't be a stick in the mud. I I can't do it. I it, the the me, the you that I that used to party and, and, and engage in all this, all this stuff with you, it's gone. It's gone. Now, they won't understand because they're looking right at you. But you know the spiritual reality. You have been buried with Christ. It's been sealed away. It stinks. There's no going back and retrieving that. This is ours in Christ. It is a spiritual reality that is true because we are in Christ, and in Christ, Christ is the fullness of God fourth and last provision of our union with him is that with Christ we have been raised from the dead. So look again at verse 12. It says, having been buried with him in baptism in which you um, were also raised with him through faith in the power, powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The operative power of baptism is not the ritual, and it's not the water. Rather, Faith is the key. Faith is the key. We are raised in baptism because we have trusted in the gospel. You say, where do you get the gospel? I don't read the gospel there. Where, you know, where, where are you pulling that from? Well, what is the essence of the gospel? What is the, that hub or, or, or you know, center of the wheel of the gospel that we always come back to? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What does Paul say is the operative force of baptism here? It is that we have come to have faith in the one who raised Jesus from the dead. It says, raised with him through faith in the powerful, powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Do you see that there? Do you see it? Because we have faith in Christ, we are in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we are in God. And because we are in God, we have all the fullness of God, all of the reality of that. We've been buried with him, and now it says we've been raised with him to new life. So the power of that that new life in Christ is is that we are in him and Christ is in us, and being in Christ, we have eternal life. Now, already now. It, eternal life is not only that which we are looking forward to. You know this, yes? What did, what did Jesus say in his high priestly prayer, John chapter 17? He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So through faith in the gospel, the meaning of baptism is that we have died with Christ, we've been buried with Christ, and we have been raised in the power of of new life through him. I mean ultimately a day will come when Christ returns and the dead in Christ will rise that will be the finishing, the completion of this work of the new life. Everything that is old will have passed away, even the old flesh. You know, the bodies in the grave will be raised incorruptible, in glory. That day will come, but what this is telling us, what Paul is saying is right now Christian, right now, you have been raised. There's more to come, but, but right now, you have been raised from the dead spiritually with Christ. You've been circumcised by Christ. You've been buried with Christ. You've been raised to new life. And that means in Christ, we can live in the power of a new life. And in, by that power of the new life, with the Spirit dwelling in us, we can put to death the deeds of the body. We are not to just go on sinning so that grace may abound. How can we who have died to sin go on living in it? Do you see how this works itself out? We don't want to succumb as Christians to bumper sticker theology. You know the one, the one that I really hate? <laughs> I think I've mentioned it once or twice from the pulpit. This is one that used to get a lot of traction. And if you ever had this on your car, I apologize. I probably had it on a car back in the 1970s myself. Um, Christians aren't perfect just forgiven that's so close to being true that's so close to being true but it's it's really bad the way it's stated. Now I agree Christians aren't perfect We're we're not. I haven't known any perfect Christians in terms of the outworking of what should be seen in their lives there's still so much room to go and we are forgiven. That is absolutely true. We've been forgiven through the, through the work of Christ. We've been forgiven. It's, it's, it's just the little word, just, because that throws the whole thing off. What does that make it sound like? It makes it sound like the Christian experience is just a little piece of paper that was signed where God goes, okay, I, I don't know what to do with you. All right, I just forgive it. Forget it. That's, that's all there is to it. And he's just done and we go off with our paper and, any, and we just sin all we want. And just, hey, I've got a paper that says I'm forgiven. It's not what it is, is it? There is, there is all of this provision that flows to us because we are in Christ in whom is the fullness of God. We've been, we've been circumcised. We've been, we've been buried. We've been raised to new life. So if we're going to have that bumper sticker, it should say something like, Christians aren't perfect. But they are now in Christ, circumcised, dead, buried, risen to do life. No, not completely perfect, but Christ is working in them. And they're putting to death. The, I know this isn't going to make a very good bumper sticker when you get right down. It's going to go like all the way around the car a couple times. The advantage is it would be true, is that it would be true. Yeah. Paul wanted the Colossians to know much about the fullness of God, just all that was theirs through what Christ had done. They'd been delivered from evil. They'd been circumcised, buried, and raised to new life. And there, were no, there was nothing these false teachers could give them except emptiness, broken cisterns, nothing of substance. If you're a believer, that is yours as well. Those provisions are yours. Live in them. Live in them. Stop, stop thinking that the Christian life is so hopeless. And I, I find that so many Christians get stuck in that. They're, look, yes, honestly, there's some now and not yet about our faith. And there are setbacks. And there, 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 there are all kinds of areas of weaknesses that, that we endure. But look at all that you have now in Christ. It is powerful stuff. It is amazing provision. I mean, I think we look at the Christian life sometimes like a bad Ikea package. I've never gotten a bad one, by the way. I don't know how those Swedes do it, but I have never gotten an Ikea package where it didn't have every single piece in it. You? I think I bought some Walmart. I oh, don't better not say that. They might be listening. I've gotten some off-brands, and you're halfway through putting that bookshelf together. And all at once you realize, oh, I'm missing you know, two of the things that hold the shelves up. And I'm missing one of those weird little screws that you screw to tighten it in. And, and you don't have, I think too many Christians think of it that way. Like, oh, well, all I got is forgiveness. What are you going to do? No. No, look at everything that is yours. To anyone who doesn't have Christ, we're not saying Christians are perfect. Because if you've observed Christians, you probably recognize they're they're not utterly. What we are telling you is that there is a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And he came into this world to die for sinners on the cross, and such that if you repent and turn and believe that God uh, was in Christ and and that Christ is risen from the dead, you can have eternal life. And coming to him, you come to the one who has authority over all of the darkness. Everything you worry of, everything that fright, everything that goes bumping, then all those things. He is in authority over them. And if you are in Christ, you have, you have spiritual circumcision. You've been buried. You've been raised to new life. You don't have a broken cistern that's incapable of holding water. You have springs of living water that well up to eternal life. So we invite you today, turn from the broken cisterns, turn to Christ, receive eternal life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we sometimes sell short just the utter power of your work in us. We forget, Lord, just how much you have done that the very fullness of God is in you, and now, Lord, through, through faith, you have brought us into you, into fellowship with you. We are in you, and you are in us, and with us come all of these things, Lord. Help us not lose sight of that. Help us not think so meanly of, of, of the very good provisions that you have provided, and, and Lord, may we take advantage of every one of them. May we see, Lord, that we are dead to our old sinful self, that that has been circumcised, not done with hands, Lord, but by you, that, that you've removed these things from us and they are to remain dead and buried and that we have a, the power of a new life that we are to live. Give us greater confidence and thankfulness for that, Lord. Help us to lay aside those things that, that easily beset and to just run the race with you. And I pray, Lord, that that today there'd be a person that might hear this that doesn't know you. And Lord, seeing the broken and cracked cisterns that they have been drinking from or trying to drink from, that they would turn and receive eternal life by trusting in you. We ask it in your name. Amen.